So, First uh, Corinthians thirteen. Today we're going to be looking at um, verse five. B. Love is not irritable or resentful. Irritable or resentful. That's the ESV translation of those two Greek words in the New Testament. Uh, before we do, let's see if there's anyone who um, has any prayer requests or anything we need to be in prayer about um, before we get started digging in. Anyone? Don't be shy. Praises. Anything you want to praise the Lord about? We can share that together, pray together. No? All right. Well, we're kind of here and we spend time in fellowship and learning about Him. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Deborah and Mac, do y'all want to praise the Lord for a good, successful ski trip without a broken leg or anything? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm going to be a little bit without breaking any bones today. Yeah. Well, I forgot you tweaked your knee. Anyone else? <clears throat> Prayers for your. Yeah. So, yeah. I would just say a praise. You know, like it's the Zambia yeah. missions group has gone well so far. Um, yeah. And uh, they'll be wrapping up and kind of starting their return on yeah. Tuesday or so. Hey everyone here. Ben Holman's here. <laughs> hey man, sorry. I do that every time. Good to see you, brother. Yeah. Any prayer requests or praises, Ben? Getting started here, man. I got to hang out with one of the guys that I hung out with in Wednesday. Yesterday? Yeah. Yeah, but Amos is the more social. So our social, the social kids are Amos and Abigail. And so Amos gets a little antsy when he doesn't have his brothers to hang out with. So he was able to hang out with a neighborhood kid. So, all right. Well, let's pray. We'll ask God to... Um, Lead us in this study, and then we're also going to sing a song. So let's pray. Dear God in heaven, thank you so much for uh, this day, the Lord's day, Jesus' day, the day he rose from the dead, the day that we celebrate his resurrection, also his passion for us, his death for our, our sins. We thank you that that love that he showed us um, by coming and dying and rising for us is uh, impossible to really uh, sum up. But we thank you that you have done that for us in this scripture uh, to as much an extent as we can understand it. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this great chapter of the Bible as we continue to kind of work through it and talk about it. We ask that your spirit will lead us and guide us in that uh, discussion. So we thank you for your love for us, and we ask that you help us to love each other and love you better as a result of this study. We also lift up these requests to you. We thank you for success so far in the, um, in the, uh, the mission trip. We ask for continued health and success as these young people uh, lead others um, by example in um, the VBS, but also uh, prayerfully, hopefully, lead others to know Christ and to know him better.
better if they already know him. So we thank you for that. Uh, we thank you for our children. We thank you for their opportunities to fellowship with other uh, families and other, uh, other kids. We thank you for just the opportunity to fellowship and to, um, to gather. And for all these things, we pray and thank you in the name of Jesus, our King and our Savior. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, the title in mind is The Way of Love, but we've, of course, named this uh, What is Love? And uh, Paul defines love for us in 1 Corinthians 13, this most famous of chapters regarding love. Um, so I was thinking about a song we could, we could sing together uh, that at least has love in the title. Uh, one of my favorite um, old gospel hymns is My Jesus, I Love Thee. So the words, if you didn't get a song sheet, they're out there in the hallway. Uh, Jesus gave us a standard for showing our love for him, even as he showed his love for us in his, uh, his life, death, and resurrection. For our sins, and what is that standard? How do we show our love for Jesus? We can sing about it, and that's good. But what did Jesus say about how we show our love for God, for Him? By obeying His commands. Yeah, He said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And what is the first and greatest commandment? Mm -hmm. And the summary of the law. soul, mind, and strength, and as your neighbor as yourself. And so we do this by, um, by loving uh, actively, um, and God gives us, as I said earlier, this great picture of what love is um, in 1 Corinthians 13. So as we continue this, uh, this study, I wanted to point out something that's very interesting going on in verses 4 through 6. Uh, before we kind of talk about that, let's actually read the entire passage as we, I think we do every Sunday. I listened to a few of the lessons in preparation for this, and I noticed that we would just read the whole passage every Sunday, and that's good because we, we can't read it enough, really, can we? So uh, anybody want to read this for us? Anyone? Mac, you said you would? Yeah. Okay, thanks. Okay. All 13. Yeah, please. <clears throat> if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part when we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child. 
how childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Thank you. So, let's talk real quick about where we've been so far. Anything stand out to you over the last seven weeks as y'all have been looking at this together? As I said, I, you know, on, on Sundays I'm usually engaged across the hall um, there in ABF, and so I wasn't able to, I haven't been able to follow along in this journey with you, but I did listen to a couple lessons, and so I have some ideas of what you've talked about so far, obviously having read the verses as well, but um, anything stand out to you so far? Harry's deep in thought back there. <laughs> it's one thing, Ken, is that you know our natural inclination is when we are wrong is to be is to see justice. Uh-huh. This chapter calls us to absorb wrongdoing. Absorb wrongdoing. Absorb it. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I think you're right about that. It goes against every fiber of our being. Yeah, and in these these two words in particular, uh, but also no record of wrongs, uh, or no, um, what's the verse uh, immediately preceding, um, does not insist on its own way. Does not insist on its own way. That's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Um, anybody else? Anything stand out to you as we've been sorting through this very important Bible passage. Have you been challenged to think about how well or not well you love not just God but others? I know what happened just, just in this past week uh, looking through this and thinking about it and praying about it. Well, that's been thought I've had in speaking so specifically to the church in this passage and how the yeah. church is functioning. But we have passages... Right. Speak of how we are, you know, who our neighbor is, and how we are to love is the next one that we come across. But this specifically being how the church, in the church, we are to love right. within the church body itself. Right. And let's talk about that. What's the context? So we got this, this Corinthian church. What's going on? I know we've talked about this a little bit uh, in the previous lessons. What's going on that Paul needs to give this instruction? What's going on in that church in Corinth that Paul needs to be so um, specific about how they can love one another? Divisions in the church. Divisions, right? Um, what was the most egregious of these divisions that were happening? What was the worst of those divisions? Hint, hint, it has something to do with the Lord's table. What was going on? They were getting drunk on the communion. Why? Uh, there were apparently some men, or men and women, but 
presumably men, um, showing partiality uh, uh, to certain others in the church and uh, not, uh, showing, not showing deference to uh, some others in the church. So there's these divisions, and it, it came all the way to the, the Lord's table. And so Paul is kind of hitting hard with, um, as I think uh, Michael pointed out when he taught the first lesson in the series, um, he's hitting them hard on just how unloving they were being. Um, unloving and also not correcting a brother who was caught up in a, an egregious sin. So uh, definitely a, a needful word for obviously the Corinthians, but for us as well, right? This is the church in all ages. Um, so let's get to uh, these four verse, three verses, verses four through six. I want you to see a sort of a pattern that Paul is using. He's got the, um, I call him the uh, two love is's. I made up a couple of phrases slash words here. Two love is's. Uh, seven or eight love does or is nots. So you got the positive, you got the negative, right? And then you go back to the positive, the four uh, love all things. Uh, so I want you to see that because it's, it's kind of a, a neat structure uh, for helping us kind of hang our hat on. And even if you're trying to memorize this, I know uh, Joseph did a lesson on memorizing scripture and I, hopefully you're maybe working through this passage and trying to memorize it. But maybe looking at it this way will help you memorize um, some of these important um, um, definitions of love. Uh, the, the, the positive, the negative, and then the positive again. But we're in uh, verse. We're in the sixth and seventh. Love is or does not. Why well, is it important for um, us to think about? You know, we often preachers will often say things like, um, "I can tell you how to define a thing, a word, a concept, a biblical concept by what it is." But I can also uh, tell you to define a biblical concept by what it is not. Why is it important to do that? Harry kind of alluded to it earlier. Isn't that negative? Like, well, you know, why are we being so negative? <laughs> can't you just be positive, Paul? Can't you just can't you just tell us what love is? Why do you have to harp on the is nots? Because we like to make up our own definitions. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. And justify sin. Thank you. Did y'all hear that? That's because we like to make up our own definitions for any biblical concept, in this case, love. And also because we excuse our sin. I mean, ultimately, the reason that Paul, I, th I think, finds it necessary to do the is nots the way he does um, in this passage in particular, but elsewhere in Scripture, I'm sure. Um, is because we sin. And so there are many times when we are not fulfilling the law of love. We're not loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're not loving Christ um, as we should. And obviously we, we never love Christ perfectly. We never love our neighbor perfectly. But, um, but when Paul sort of shows us what love is not, 
uh, it reminds us just how far short we're falling of God's perfect standard. So we have uh, the sixth and seventh of the is-nots. Next week, rejoice in wrongdoing. And then I can I, I kind of see that but rejoices in the truth is sort of a transition to the last four, love all things. Let's talk about these two words. Um, love is not irritable or resentful. Irritable or resentful. What is irritable? Right. What's that? Easily angered. Easily angered, right? Any of you have a irritation getting ready for church this morning? <laughs> Are you, any of you easily angered or easily irritated um, trying to get the kids ready for church? Anybody with... There's, there's one guy here with... How many kids do you guys have? Nine. nine. So you know. Getting nine kids ready for church. Now, you, those days are past you, but you get pretty irritable, can it? Right? So even, even on the Lord's Day, when we're trying to get the family uh, together to go worship our Lord Jesus and our Heavenly Father, we can be irritated. We can be easily irritated. So I find for myself, um, that's where I often fail the most when it comes to uh, being easily angered um, in how I deal with my, my family, my wife, my kids. So irritable. It's uh, not easily... It's, uh, you, said, you, you read that uh, definition, Deborah, from the, the top there, right? The Greek? Is that what you, where you got it from? <laughs> yeah, easily stirred to anger, provoked, stimulated... And then you see some different uh, translations there. I think that's really helpful to helping us understand all that this word entails. Um, King, King James, not easily provoked. How many of you are easily provoked? I'll raise my hand. Uh, Legacy Standard Bible, which by the way, I highly recommend uh, getting at least an electronic copy of that translation. It's a updated version of the... Um, the um, ASV, American Standard Bible, American Standard, yeah, ASB, um, is not provoked. The NIV, sometimes a useful translation, is not easily angered. And then the Young's literal translation, is not provoked. So they're, they're, all the different English translations are pretty much in one accord as to what this word conveys. Um, not just angered, but not that we just shouldn't be angered, but we shouldn't be easily angered, right? Uh, easily provoked. So let's talk about some biblical, advan uh, uh, biblical examples of those who may have been easily angered or provoked. I didn't list any because I want to get your feedback on any that pop into your mind. Anyone? Moses striking the rock. Moses what? Striking the rock. Striking the rock. Yeah, I think he got a little frustrated with the Lord there, didn't he? He got impatient. By the way, this is, I think, closely related to impatience, right? Um, if you're easily provoked, then you're not a patient person. 
Um, that's a good example. Anybody else? Absolutely. Yeah, he's like the ultimate example of what not, how not to be loving, right? Uh, he not only hardened his own heart, but God hardened his heart for him because he was so uh, easily angered. He was so irritated with the Jews, Hebrew people. Israel. Good example. Israel, yes. Easily angered, easily provoked, right? The murmuring in the desert. Easily drawn away, obviously, to other gods as well, or at least other ways of worshiping the true God. In the example at the, uh, of the golden calf. Who else? Samson. Samson. That's a good one. That one came up in another discussion, I think. What about the New Testament? Jesus' disciples. Sure. Yeah. I think Peter, like, you know, we, we pick on Peter, and, you know, he was, he had his, um, he had his faults, obviously. Um, he had his positive, um, obviously positive uh, things, too. But think about um, when Jesus starts telling the disciples that he's going to the cross, how does Peter react? What does he say? He's like, he's like, no, that's not going to happen, Lord. Jesus had just, the Son of God had just told Peter, I'm doing this, I'm going to the cross. I have to go, I have to do this thing. This is part of my mission. And Peter's first reaction was, no, not you, Lord. That's not going to happen. You think, he, you think in that moment he was a little bit easily irritated with what Jesus was teaching? And, and what, what, um, what was Jesus' reaction to Peter's reaction? Get behind me. Son. Get behind me. He called him the devil. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, in a very real way, when we're easily irritated, when we're easily angered, when we uh, deny the truth that our Lord is teaching us regarding patience and not being easily angered, um, we're acting like Pharaoh. We're acting like the devil. You know? Um, let's, let's look at these questions. Because I think this is where it really comes home for us, right? Um, but, oh, before we get to the, uh, the second set of questions, what I was thinking of. Did Jesus ever appear to be irritable? So we know that Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. We know that he is the ultimate example of what love is. And we know that in this passage, um, Jesus fulfills every one of these requirements um, in regards to what it means to love. But were there times in the, in the New Testament where Jesus appeared to be irritated? And let's talk about that because we want to make sure we understand what's really going on. Yeah, he seems to be irritated when he uh, notices a lack of faith in his disciples. Right. 
Okay. He appears also to be very uh, irritable when, uh, in John 11, in fact, he, he says that it, he's, he's angry. You know, the Spirit was, uh, uh, he was angry with the Spirit. Right. So Jesus got anger, angry. I think about his dealings with the Pharisees. And then, of course, the cleansing of the temple. Yeah. That's, what I, that's what I thought of. Jesus, for all appearances, we would look at that and we would go, and we were, we're reading it, we might picture it in our mind and we might think, wow, Jesus was really, he's really angry. He's, he's maybe even, you know, if we're tempted to think, well, he's easily angered, isn't he? He's got a short fuse, that Jesus. But well, why is it wrong to think that way about our Lord? And it's not him, it's not just because he couldn't sin or didn't sin. And why is it important to, to talk about this? Because like, it appears, thinking through this, it appears that it's okay to be angry at times, right? So what is Jesus showing us in those moments? If he's not exemplifying this anti, this uh, does not of love, what is Jesus showing us in that moment? Where he confronts the Pharisees or he turns over the tables in the temple. There's a applicable category of righteous indignation, righteous right. anger, which right. also you see in Paul in Athens in Acts 17. His spirit is provoked within him right. because of the idolatry, because of the faithlessness. Right. And, and I only bring that up because we, it's, it's, um, it's easy to see this and think we should never be irritated. We should never be angry. We should never be um, kind of moved to, uh, you know, our passions moved in such a way. Uh, but Jesus did that. But it was a, what'd you say? Right? Righteous. Righteous indignation. A righteous anger. So what does that look like for us? What might that look like for us? Well, I want to uh, join something to talk about just like the, the very definition uh, is not easily right. provoked. So it's not a prohibition against being provoked uh, or irritable, as right. we just said. Because uh, in God's own character, he says to Moses in Exodus 34, slow to anger. So it shows that right. he does get angry, but he's slow to get angry. Right. Um, so there's the patience element, right? Yeah, so I think when we think about irritation, um, which has a relation to irate, um, <laughs> we need to think about it in terms of uh, at least like content. So what is it that we're being irritated about? Right. Um, is it something worthy uh, or is there a righteousness in it or is it just because, you know, your child just can't put away shoes in the right spot or whatever it may be. Right. And then the time aspect of it as well. Uh, is it slow? Yeah. So, uh, or are you flying off the handle at the smallest yeah. thing? Right? Yeah. So. Would these, Matthew, I'll say something. Yeah, I was going to say, and maybe I'm getting ahead of, you know, to next week's lesson some, but I mean, as you read through this portion of the chapter, you know, that there is kind of pairing of these qualities as well. And so, like, and so like right, I said, is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing. So, I'm celebrating, but it's also not like 
wrong doing, what are we supposed to do? I think that's some of what we're seeing in Christ. You know, if something's wrong, that's when he was right. most, you know, yeah. if we're going to say in this category of like seeming irritable or angered, that's when that came out. It was not, right. this is wrong. You are doing something and, and in the example of the money changers, what what was he angry regarding? What was he so stirred up about? Zeal of his father's house consumed him. His father's house. He, they, these money changers were turning the temple into a marketplace, you know. And the true worship of God was being ignored. It was being, it was like an afterthought. And that made him angry. And so... Uh, while it's um, not okay to be easily angered, to be easily stirred up, to have that short fuse, um, it is okay at times to have this righteous anger. Jesus exemplified it. But we, um, but we need to be mindful of what, okay, what in, in, the, in that moment where we're frustrated, right, we need to ask ourselves, okay, what, what am I really angry at something, some violation of God's holiness or God's standards, or am I just angry because I'm personally offended? That's really the question I think we need to ask in that moment. Um, so question, this is where it kind of starts hitting home. And by the way, don't answer that third, the third question out loud. That could cause problems, right? But are there people in your life who would you just you would describe as irritable, or in your family? Wow, this is going to be on tape. I don't know if we should even go there. Yeah, well, connecting uh, this word from First Corinthians thirteen with Paul's words in Ephesians six, just one application. You know, Paul says to fathers, "Don't provoke your children." So it's the responsibility of the fathers, mothers as well, not to provoke their children to wrath. But also, if love is not easily provoked, then children who hear instructions from their parents must work hard at not being provoked by their parents. It's a dual responsibility. You know, parents have responsibility and children likewise. Because parents say things that children don't like and they can be easily provoked. And of course, parents also say things that they shouldn't say or the way that they say it, and they can provoke. I'm laughing as you describe this because of what we're dealing with with Asa right now. He's seven, you know. He's just now starting to wrap his head around the idea that, you know, mom and dad give him certain instructions that he doesn't like. And he gets all bent out of shape, right? He gets irritable, quite frankly. And... Uh, and I, sometimes I have to sit him down and I have to look him in the face and say, son, sometimes daddy has to tell you this is the right way, this is the thing, this is the way you should think, this is the way, this is how you obey. Um, but how often am I like my own son in terms of being easily stirred up when, uh, when I sin, when I disobey in some way? Or when I'm thinking only of my own interests. So yeah, that, that's a good connection uh, in families. Um, we need to make sure that we're not easily provoked by one another or towards uh, 
we're not provoking towards one another. Well, the reason I ask that question about can you think of people in your life who are irritable is to get, get us to think about um, what that's like. Like if you're around somebody who's irritable, let's just say at the office, just for, we'll keep it like kind of, you know, out there. Um, what's it like being around somebody who's easily irritated, easily angered? Is that a pleasant experience? It's like the best. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to be around those people? Of course not, you know. And I think I think you know Paul's just trying to be real, like in terms of. He, I think he would want us to think about that, like what when I'm around irritated people or irritable people or angry, overly angry people, people that have a short fuse. How does that, you know, how how does that make you feel? Like, you know, what does that create in you? And there, tension. Tension. Yeah. I gotta walk on eggshells. I can't be the kind of person I, I yeah. want to be around him. Walking on eggshells, that's, a, that's yeah. really, that's a, a good um, way to think about it. Yeah, nobody wants to be around that person, right? That angry person. And so I think Paul's just reminding us, don't be that guy that nobody wants to be around because you're irritable, right? That's not loving. And it doesn't create an environment where people want to be around you. And it certainly doesn't create an environment where people look at you and say, oh, he's just like Jesus, <laughs> right? Because that's the ultimate point, right? The, the ultimate thing is we're supposed to strive to be like Christ. And if we are uh, so easily angered, we're so easily provoked, if we're so, um, I guess, irritated or angry all the time, no one's going to want to be around us, and nobody's going to want to, you know, be interested in our God and knowing our Lord, because they'll just assume, well, if Jesus, if his relationship with Jesus, his or her relationship with Jesus makes him angry all the time, then I don't, I don't want any of that. So, so ask this question of yourself. This is the, this is the application question. When, when thinking through, am I an irritable person? Am I, am I, is what Paul is described, is what Paul is describing true of me, that I'm irritable or resentful? Is it hard for you to get stirred up or do you have a general spirit of irritableness? Just sit with that for a minute. Do you think maybe our social media interactions would be an indicator of this? Yeah. I think so. And, I, and I'm probably most guilty possibly in this room of that one, I get too easily irritated by things I see on social media. I think, uh, I mean, even if we don't have a general spirit of irritation, uh, we all have uh, what right. we might term as like pet peeves. Yeah, like pet peeves. Those are areas to look uh, for easy irritation. And also areas of like uh, passion and strength. So in your strengths, uh, you know, if you're really good at something uh, or you know to do something the right way and then you see it not being done very well or efficiently or whatever it may be, because you're gifted at that, I think it's easy to become irritated in that sense. Um, or if you're passionate about something, 
it's easy then to become irritated if someone doesn't equal that or somehow match up to that. So I think those are some areas that are positive, uh, yeah. except for the pet peeves, that we can look and find some of those right. easy yeah. touch points. Areas where we need to really work on our game in terms of not being irritable. Like we, that, that's a good one you brought up, uh, what was it you said, you're good at something? Your, your, so, your strengths, your gifts, yeah. I was thinking about, um, I, I told some of you uh, before the rest of you got here, before the class formally started, I took some of the kids skiing this week. And, um, and one of the things, one of the rules in my house is, you know, we're, we're skiers, I'm, I've been skiing like four years, snow skiing, and uh, one of the rules in my house is I don't teach my own children to ski. Why is that? Why do you think that might be based on what you just said, Ben? You don't have to answer, but based on what Ben just said, why do you think that I have that policy? You're so good at it, you <laughs> cannot tolerate any failure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not that I'm so good at it, but it is that I know how to ski, but my four or five or six-year-old kid doesn't, obviously, because they've never been on skis before. This is not a natural activity. You know, you stick sticks on your feet and slide down ice or snow. <laughs> this is not a natural thing to do, and so it requires instruction, and it requires, there's a learning curve, right? And I am too easily irritated in trying to teach my own children, and I don't want my kids to see that in me, right? I don't want them to see me getting bent out of shape because they're not getting it, right? Mm -hmm. So I put them in a lesson, right? But that's just, that, that's one way of, that I've come up with of not getting easily irritated because I know myself. But, truth be told, a better way would probably be me just be patient and not be irritable and repent of that irritation. Uh, so, something to think about whenever we're trying to instruct our child in something or, uh, or maybe at work you're, you know, you, you, get, you tend to get impatient and irritated with coworkers or, or people that work for you. Um, they, they're not on the same learning trajectory that you may be. And so and they may not be excellent at something as you, you might be. Um, and so it's very important not to get easily irritated with others um, when they're, they don't meet your standard of what right looks like. All right, so just think about that as we move on to resentfulness. Um, what, how am I easily stirred up? How am I easily angered? And how, how can the Holy Spirit, um, ask the Holy Spirit to show you, to show me um, how I can improve in this area so I can be more loving and more like Jesus. We are not to be irritable. We are not to be easily angered. All right, let's talk about resentful. We have about 10 minutes. Um, does not count up wrongdoing is a sort of a very literal Greek translation of the word. You can see the King James, the Legacy Standard Bible, and uh, NIV and Young's literal translation. Anything stand out there for, for y'all? Well, I think the LSB translation does not take into account a wrong suffered. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like what Harry said. You kind of yeah. sometimes 
absorb <laughs> offenses. Absorb um, offenses. Allow love to cover a multitude of sins. Yeah. Um, but that's not easy to do. <laughs> yeah, and isn't that what Paul means when he says that? Let love cover a multitude of sins. Um, he's not saying that, you know, Paul's not saying that if, if someone sins against you, you showing love towards them somehow removes that sin from them, right? That's not what he's saying. What is he saying? Liz and Harry both said it. Well, and you know, Peter says in First Peter four, and I think he's thinking back about on Jesus' interaction with him, because he asked, him, "How many times should I forgive my brother who sinned against me?" And to summarize, Jesus' answer is, "There's really no limit." Right. So you're not love's not covering just a few sins; it's covering a multitude of sins. And all the offenses that you can think of, you're covering those because of love. Yeah. yeah. So the, the loving way is when you're sinned against, not to be a victim, not to just, but, but to not hold that against that person, mm -hmm. to, to be patient with them, to, be, to realize you're just, you're just as sinful maybe in different ways as they might be. Um, okay, so what are some biblical examples of resentful people? Can I just say too, I think yes. that a good way to help to not, you know, keep an account of wrong suffered or count up wrongdoing is, you know, back um, when we did the ABF lessons on conflict resolution and one of the things that was repeated over and over and over is the difference between someone actually sinning against you or just taking offense to something because of your own preference. Yeah. So I think that's really important to think about when we're offended. Is it actually a sin against me or is it just that this is my, my preference isn't being taken into account or right. you know it's inconveniencing me or whatever. Because if we think about those things, that can help us to not keep an account of every little offense. <laughs> right. Whose law is being broken? God's or mine? Yeah. Right. And I think that's really important when you think about, in our context, as Reformed Christians, uh, I know for me, I'll just speak for me, I tend to look at those who aren't Reformed, you know, worship in different ways, and I, and I it's easy for me to, I guess, take offense, right? Um, because... I might consider their way of worship to be unbiblical or, um, or um, maybe even sinful in some way. Um, but why, why resent someone for that? They, they're in a different place, right? You know, they're just loving Jesus in the way that they have been taught, and maybe God will correct them one day. But to take offense and to be resentful towards people or things that you perceive as um, somehow uh, going against, you know, your in your mind what you think is the right thing is is obviously not, uh, you know, based on this basic idea of uh, it's not what God would want for us. We're not to count that up. We're not to hold that against them. We're not to um, think that we're somehow better or 
have it all figured out. Okay, I think there's a program that even when we are sinned against, truly sinned against, and people have broken God's law and sinned against us, even in that context, we're called to um, first not take that person. I mean, basically, it's just a dying of itself. We're not called to take that personally. That, that's a sin against God, first and foremost, and we should lament that. And our concern should be for that sinner, that you know, how we can maybe help them um, repent of that sin, whatever we can do in that relationship, as, as opposed to taking offense, even if it's a true, truly sin against us. And none of us can do that naturally. Right. That spirit to be able to do that. That's really helpful, Harry. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. 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 Kind of. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Uh, David in Psalm 51. You know, again, I think that's said against you, and you only have a sin. Um, so all sin is first and foremost against God and His holy, His holiness, His law. Um, but it's easy in the context of relationships to think like you sin against me. And then the focus just becomes on the wrong done to you, which is important. Um, right. It's still breaking. That's compounding uh, right. the sin uh, because God's very clear in the second table of the law about relations with one, with one another. Um, but yeah, the focus should be uh, yeah restoration and forgiveness. Um, so. Anyway. Yeah, and I think that goes back to irritation. Like so. Uh, if you're angered by a, an offense to you personally, that's different from being angered by an offense against God, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's our primary focus should be on any irritation or anger we have should be not so much for what somebody's done against us, but for what someone has done against God. The example being the ultimate example being Jesus. Okay, we got our, uh, shoot. <laughs> um, let me just close with this question. Is there a relationship between irritableness and resentfulness? Yeah, absolutely. I, I see a relationship here. I think people who are overly irritable, people who are easily angered, people who are easily provoked tend to move towards resentfulness as a sort of a state of being. And so I think there's a warning here, and I think Paul paired these two words very carefully to show us, to remind us, that if we're not careful, if we allow ourselves to be easily irritated, to be easily angered, then it moves from, it can move from that to just outright resentfulness as a, an overall kind of um, description of our, the way we are. And um, that's very dangerous. Because then you get into in unforgiveness, you get into bitterness, and things like that. So let's just uh, wrap it all up by um, being reminded of the positive example of our Lord, who was not uh, irritable and not resentful. So if the word means, has something the relationship of the word is our close, our close definition of the word is keeps no record of wrongs. Um, how has God not done that against us? I think the answer is obvious. How has God not how has God not been resentful towards us? Let's look at these verses. Romans 4, verse 6 through 8. Somebody read that for us? 
Somebody read that? It's on your sheet. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. God does not count our sin against us. He does not resent us, right? He's patient with us. 2 Corinthians 5.19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So important for our context. Um, we, we, we've talked a lot about reconciliation in the last few weeks and months. Um, we need to always keep in mind that God does not hold our sin against us. He's not counting our trespasses against us. And in the same way, we cannot be resentful. We cannot be irritable. Because if, if God were the same towards us, then we would, of all men, be um, most miserable, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, we, um, just as we receive God's grace and, and understand it, that God does not hold our sin against us, uh, we should not as, as well hold uh, other people's sins against uh, them. So let's not be irritable and resentful this week. We never do it perfectly, but our Lord does. And for that, uh, we should be grateful. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, uh, your Son, our Savior Jesus, was not irritable. He was not easily angered. He was patient towards us. And he, by your spirit, uh, extended grace to us. And in the same way, he is not resentful towards us. He does not count our sins against us. Help us to do the same. Not just in how we love you, Father. Help us not to resent our station in life or whatever it may be. But also, especially as we interact with other Christians and other and neighbors, Help us to never resent, but to love and to show the same kind of grace that Jesus shows to us. We pray in his name. Amen. Mm -hmm. Thanks, guys.